Politics and current affairs. Backpack. Backchat. Backchat. Your alternative to talk back. It's Saturday, November 14th, and you're listening to Backchat, where we break down the news you don't want to miss. Before we begin today, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land which we broadcast and pay our respects to elders past, present, and future. I'm Shami Sivasubramanian. And I'm Chantelle Alkuri. We've got a jam-packed show for you today as part of the National Aborigines and Islanders Day Observance Committee, better known as NAIDOC Week, which runs until tomorrow. First up, we're speaking to Wadjuri brother boy Hayden Moon on how colonisation has shaped the gender spectrum. After that, Backchat producer Rebecca Manabog chats with Ingoy Woomeri artist Kiran Karachpool about storytelling through print, fashion and fabric. Then finally, we're joined by Gomeroy campaigner Rachel McPhail on her petition to include traditional country in your mailing address. But as always, we want to hear from you. Whose land are you listening from today? Here at Backchat, we're on Gadigal land as part of the Yoran Nation. Let us know where you are by texting 0409 945 945 or you can tweet us at Backchat FBI. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Backchat, your alternative to talk back. So, have you heard of Brother Boys and Sister Girls in the LGBTQIA plus community before? While the terms might be new to you, Indigenous communities have long embraced their gender-diverse brothers and sisters. Proud Watch Jury brother Hayden Moon is here to explain the long-standing gender diversity in First Nations communities and how colonisation has affected gender binaries. Hayden, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Hello. So could you please explain what brother boy and sister girl means? Yes, absolutely. Um, so sister girls and brother boys are terms that we use in that we use in some Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities to describe um, people that are trans and gender diverse. Um, they're sovereign terms that are coined by First Nations people of this continent. Um, and essentially, um, brother boys would be people who are Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander who were assigned female at birth but lived through their boy spirit. They take on male roles in culture and community and society. They're accepted as such within their cultural, you know, um, group um, and live their lives through their boy spirit. So it encompasses both their gender identity and their cultural identity. Um, And then a sister girl would therefore be the opposite of that. So they would be someone who was assigned male at birth who lives through their female spirit or feminine spirit and takes on um, the women's roles in culture and in society. Um, But it is important to remember when we do think about that, that these terms are not binary terms. Um, There is a huge misconception with some people, if they have heard about um, sister girls and brother boys, they often think that a brother boy is a binary trans man and a sister girl is a binary trans woman. Um, That's not the case. Um, anyone could be anywhere on the gender spectrum from a feminine gay man to a non-binary person to a trans woman for a sister girl and vice versa so a brother boy could have a boy spirit and therefore identify as a brother boy but not identify as a man Um, they could be you know a butch lesbian and be a brother boy or they could be a trans man and be a brother boy or trans masculine or non-binary it's about having that boy spirit and being a brother boy or having a girl spirit and being a sister girl. It's, it's not about these binary 
uh, genders. So there are two spellings of brother boy and sister girl, right? So there's one with the E-R, brother boy, and one with an A instead, brother boy. So what's the difference? So the spelling of these terms is really important um, because they they separate between endearing terms and uh, trans and gender diverse terms. So the spelling with an A, um, sister girl and brother boy, are terms that are used for endearment for women and men, um, like respectively within um, Aboriginal culture, um, you know, kind of like how we use Tita and Bala and, um, you know, brother and stuff like that. Um, and so those are just terms that we use as terms of, you know, familiarity and um, endearment, whereas sister, girl and brother, boy are specifically used for um, trans and gender diverse people. So it's very important to have that change in spelling because, you know, that that gives trans and gender diverse people this sense of ownership over that spelling. Um, but it's also really beautiful because the terms sound identical when you're speaking. Um, and that's a really great thing about our culture is that we don't separate trans and gender diverse people from, you know, from our community. It, 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 does, it doesn't, like, you don't need to know when someone's talking about a brother, boy or sister girl, unless you know the context you're not going to know which word they're specifically using. And that's a really beautiful thing because you don't need to know whether someone is trans unless they tell you. So um, it is a, it's a very beautiful thing that the words sound the same, but it is important to have that distinction in spelling because they are very important separate terms and there are times when you do want to make that distinction. So how has colonisation impacted gender identity in First Nations communities? Like what, is those, what do those effects look like in the Indigenous culture? Um, big question. <laughs> um, it's definitely, yeah, colonization has affected the First Nations community in so many ways, but it's, it's definitely affected um, the First Nations community when it comes to trans and gender diverse um, inclusion and exploration. Um, there's this beautiful phrase that was coined by a Bunjalung sister girl who's unfortunately passed away now, but... Um, she, she coined this phrase, the gender binary arrived with the boats, and it is the most accurate phrase um, because that's exactly what happened. Um, prior to colonization, we didn't have this very strict and rigid gender binary that divided people into men and women based on their body parts. Um, we did have and still do have men's and women's business, but this was not labeled as such by our community. We had you know, feminine roles and masculine roles and people would kind of, you know, um, move towards which cultural role they felt more comfortable in. But it was never this thing that was based on your body parts. And that assumption came with colonization, with colonizers saying that most of the people who were performing, you know, um, caring duties and looking after children and cooking and all of that stuff, most of them happened to have one set of genitalia so they labelled that as women's business. But in actual fact, not everyone who was doing those roles would have been assigned female at birth. It's just that that was the majority. Um, so, you know, it comes all the way down to our cultural practice being, practices being labelled as these binary things when in actual fact it was about our feminine or masculine spirit and not about our body parts. And then you also have the fact that the influence of the gender binary that labels people as men and women has then 
um, cause people to assume that sister girls are binary trans women and brother boys are binary trans men, which, as I said, is just not the case, you know? Brother boy and sister girl, those terms are really inclusive. They're trans identities that accept everyone, including those who don't even separate themselves from the gender they were assigned at birth, you know? So you could be someone who was assigned male at birth who identifies as a cis gay man who is, you know, just very flamboyant and feminine and identifies with his feminine spirit and lives his life with his feminine feminine spirit, but to everybody else might appear as a cis man, but he is a sister girl because he he lives his life through his feminine spirit. And the gender binary that was brought with colonization has led people to kind of make these assumptions that if you look a certain way, you are a man, and if you look at you know a certain way, you are a woman, and that's completely just not how our culture rolls, really. So, Hayden, what are some ways people can learn more about sister girls and brother boys and show their support? Um, so, for so your first question, where they can learn more, um, there's a lot of in, uh, information out there. You just kind of need to know where to look, to be honest. Um, a really good page to look at would be um, TransMob, which is on TransHub, which is a page by Acon. Um, that has a huge section about sister girls and brother boys and has a bunch of different links, so they're all in the one place. Um, so I would definitely check that out. Um, you can also read the article that I wrote, a <laughs> little plug there. Um, but I wrote an article with Junkie called Brother Boys and Sister Girls. Um, I think it's called We Need to Decolonize Our Understanding of Gender in This Country. Um, you can look that up because I definitely go much more into detail than what I'm able to do in you know a five-minute radio interview. Um, so I would check that out. Um, yeah, and honestly, just doing a Google search of Brother Boys and Sister Girls, um, you can find a bunch of um, links there. But I would definitely check out TransHub and my article um, because, you know, those are written by First Nations people. Um, and in terms of what people can do to support, um, basically, <laughs> I mean, this is going to sound really obvious, but, like, don't be racist. Stop being racist. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a big one. Um, but definitely, you know, decolonize your understanding and attitudes around gender identity and gender expression, you know? Like, remember that the gender binary did arrive with colonization and it's upheld today through a colonial lens and structure. And, you know, remember that homophobia and transphobia are products of colonization. So dismantling these attitudes is decolonization. Dismantling the gender binary is decolonization. If you truly want to decolonize, you have to remember to include trans and gender diverse folks in that decolonization because we have been here from the beginning and we have been accepted in community from the beginning. So you need to dismantle these homophobic and transphobic views that you may have or people around you may have because that is part of decolonizing this you know, this uh, continent. Hayden, this um, has been such yeah. a powerful interview. Thank you so much for your time. We'll be sure to share uh, links to the resources you mentioned as well. No worries. That was Hayden Moon discussing brother boys and sister girls and gender roles with First Nations communities. Stay tuned because after the break, you'll hear from National Indigenous Fashion Award winner Kieran Karichpool about fabric, a spider and a promise he's kept to this day. You're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio. We're celebrating NADOC week today and we'll be right back after a song. This is Sick As by Dobie. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Backchat, your alternative to talk back. 
Ah, yes, we love a fashion moment. A pop of colour, a little pattern here and there. But for our next guest... Ooh, but for our next guest, textile holds a much deeper meaning. Some prints and designs actually represent First Nation stories that have been passed down for 30,000 years. Ngoi Wamari artist and hunter Kieran Karichpul shares his elders' stories through his works. And he's recently been recognised for his art in the National Indigenous Fashion Awards, where he won the textile category last month. Backchat producer Rebecca Manabog sat down with Kieran to explore the possibilities of storytelling in design and art. In the spirits of NAIDOC Week, we aim to celebrate the Indigenous Australian community who have occupied and cared for Australia for over 65,000 years. Today we are taking it to the community of Noweyu, Dali River, to explore the amazing artworks and textiles of Kieran Karichpul, a Nungwe Wumari artist who recently won the Textile Design Award in this year's National Indigenous Fashion Awards. Kieran, thank you for being here today. It's an honour to be on this radio interview. Thank you. That's all good. Firstly, congratulations on winning. How did it feel to win and can you describe the moment when you found out? Well, I was at um, a billboard and um, with the um, film crew and I was told on film that I won and I was shocked and happy and excited and it was a big honour for me. Can you tell us what is your art practice and process? My art practice is painting, fabrics and ceramic, printing, silk, silk painting and drawing. Plus I work at the art centre, Melbourne Arts in Daly River. You mentioned that you would want to make making movements in forms. Can you explain what that is? I make movement in my um, art because when I go at bush with my, with my family, I got into bush to be in a quiet place and to just hear the nature around me and hearing the trees blowing with the wind. And I look around the um, landscape around me and I see movement, so I think I might go home and do something with movement in my art. That's why I do a lot of movement in my work, because I like to be out in the bush looking at nature and seeing all these movements in the bush. Some of your pieces have stories to tell. Can you tell us where they come from and what, um, why they are so special to you? They're so special to me because they've been handed down from my ancestors and my elders. And my mom, my grandmother, great-grandmother have been telling me all these stories and they are very important to me and I like to show it to the next generation what I've been told by my elders and other family members. Can you describe what your pieces Mermaid and Fishnet look like and the story behind them? The mermaid design is about a mermaid because when I was a little, when I was little we used to go out hunting a lot with my family and I was being told all these stories about mermaids from my old people and they've been telling me stories about mermaids who live in little creeks or billabongs or in the river around where I stay today and they've been telling me that story or the other story about the fishnet because my grandmother, mother and my mother do a lot of weaving fish, or fishnet and back in 60 years ago, my grandmother and great-grandmother told me that they didn't have fishing lines to get what they could eat, like fish or turtle. So they made a fish net to collect all the bush tucker to eat. So that's why I did a design about this. And a fish net is in today's weaving, that the women do weaving, is in all different colors. But in 60s, 
60,000 years ago, it was just plain white from the plant itself, with no color. It was just the white fishnet that they used here in the little creeks or billabong. How are textiles unique as a storytelling medium? Well, it's a really good story to tell on fabric because it shows that you can do a design for um, fabric and then you print it. It gets sold to a lot of people around the world and when you go to a big city, you see people wearing your design and then you think, oh, a really good thing that I've done on fabric. So I'm seeing my own design on fabric now or you can see it on um, panels hanging on the wall or anything you want with your fabric design and it's a really good thing, a good story to tell in through your textile design. Yeah, absolutely. And how does it feel to see people wear your designs? Well, seeing people wearing my design in big cities or around here for wearing it, I feel very happy and proud. Sometimes I go and tell that person, oh, you're wearing my design. And then you make that person feel proud. And then that person turns around and says to you, oh, I'm so happy that I've met. And then can I, the person says, so oh, can I take a photo of you so I can take it back to my family? And I'm going to tell them my family that I've met this person who've done the design on my fabric, like a top or a bag or a dress, skirt or a hat. Good thing, I feel so happy and proud. I also heard that you made a promise to your mother 10 years ago. Can you tell us what that promise is and have you kept it? Well, I promised my mother that I didn't want to go back to school or high school. I just wanted to be in where I live and I promised my mother if I don't go back to school, I'll be an artist, just like you, etc. At that stage, she didn't agree to me first, and then a couple of days later, I asked her again, and then she said, okay then, you can stay, but you have to keep your promise. So I kept that promise, and I'm 26 of age now. I kept that promise, what I've promised my mom, and I feel so happy and proud for what I've promised her and my family. You must be so proud with this award that you've won and the many other exhibitions that you have done. Yep. Um, one last question. Do you have any advice for um, young Indigenous Australians who would like to become an artist? Um, for the young Indigenous people, I'd like to say if you are doing something to keep it up and to not be scared and showing what your skills are to the rest of the world and just to keep something in mind what's like me what I done when I was young 26 now and I'd just like to say to the young indigenous people of Australia is to keep up what you are doing because I am here and I will always be here if you need if you need me to help I'm always here we are role model for you and I'm always here to talk you pouring I here in Karikpur Happy Nairok Week 2020, Dada Kinyi, Dada Nainima, Dada Australia, Mamak. That was artist Kiran Karichpal from Maripin Art Centre on how he tells stories through fabric. That final sentence was actually spoken in his grandmother's tongue, Ngoi Wumari. Don't go away just yet. We've got one more interview up our sleeve. We're joined by Gomorrah campaigner Rachel McPhail on her petition to add traditional nation address lines on packages and letters. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. <laughs> Backchat, your alternative to talk back. When you send a letter or post a package, what do you include in the address? 
Most of us would answer number, street, suburb, state, postcode, right? But what if we'd been leaving out something very important? Gomorrah woman Rachel McPhail thinks we have. For several months, she's been campaigning to have First Nations place names made part of official address information in Australia, the same as postcodes and street names. Rachel, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So what inspired the idea to have traditional place names included in postal addresses? Um, I guess I've just been trying to um, decolonise, like, you know, the way that I live my life and, and um, the way that I, you know, go about different things. Um, so I just try and um, think of ways that I can just be a little bit more inclusive of, um, like, Indigenous culture. I'm studying social work at uni, so... Um, I guess they just encourage us to look at um, the world from a different, like from the bigger picture. Um, yeah, so that was just, that's kind of what inspired me. I just thought I would um, give it a go. I just put Darawal, uh, um, sorry, Wiradjuri country on my address um, when I was placing some online orders and yeah, just went from there. I love that. Um, so could you give us a quick rundown of what a postal address might actually look like with the addition of a traditional PACE name? So the official guidelines from Australia Post, you can have a look on their website now if you just Google Australia Post addressing guidelines. Um, they have um, come out and, and published those um, the instructions for us. So their advice is to say the, um, the person's name then the traditional place name, and then the street address and suburb, etc. So if it is introduced, would it be up to the sender or the couriers and post offices to include those traditional names? The sender, yeah. So you're listening to Back Chat here on FBI Radio. We're speaking with Gomorrah woman Rachel McPhail about her push to have the traditional names of country added to our postal addresses. Earlier we asked you what traditional land you're listening in from today and we've got a couple of texts. Jade is listening from Darinkinjun country, commonly known as Terrigal, and Keely is listening from Eora Nation or Petersham. So um, anyway, on that note, what does a change like this mean for First Nations people and for Australians more broadly? Um, I mean, I guess um, it's only just a li- like it's a little tiny thing. So seeing um, the traditional place names included like on envelopes, it's amazing, but it's just that first step towards decolonisation. So um but to me personally, um, especially because Australian Post have come out and supported this during NAIDOC week, um, I think it just shows First Nations people that um, you know that there's a lot of there's a lot of allies that are supporting us in this, um, which like I've been able to see um, based on you know people contacting me on my Instagram page and the um, Change.org petition as well. So it's just really nice, um, like you know, a nice feeling for First Nations people just to kind of see that so many people are willing to have these conversations, engage in this whole movement and um, take the first steps towards, you know, opening their mind and, and thinking about other ways that they might be able to um, be more inclusive of Indigenous um, people. I love that. Um, you've mentioned uh, the kind of response your campaign has had so far, but um, it's also had a wonderful response from Australia Post. I remember seeing an Instagram post on my feed 
from them using uh, traditional uh, place names uh, on a postage uh, package. Uh, tell me more about your relationship with them and how they've been uh, quite uh, kind of big supporters of your campaign. They have. They've been amazingly supportive. So um, I met with the Indigenous Engagement Team um, not long after I kind of started the Instagram page um, and they were just so excited and on board, which was really beautiful. And um, they're obviously, you know, Australia Post is a large um, organisation, so they had to have some chats in the background with um, executive team and, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, so it took a little while to kind of, for them to come out publicly and, like, publicly endorse the movement. Um, but, yeah, they've always, in the background, they've always been really supportive. Um, yeah, so it's been really great. Rachel, this is a wonderful campaign. I really hope uh, it becomes a reality and we just see it on all of the packages and all of our posts from here on out. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. That was Rachel McPhail chatting about her campaign to have First Nation place names included in all Australian postal addresses, as well as introducing traditional place names into a database. And that's all the time we've got on the show. Big, massive thank you to our guests, Hayden Moon, Kieran Karichpal, and Rachel McPhail on our special NADOC Week episode. We'll catch you at 9.30am next Saturday, but before we go, we've got one last song. This deadly track is from Sydney rapper Barker. This is For My Titters. Have a great weekend. Bye. Barker.